Get out your Bibles, if you would. Open them up to the book of Hosea. Now, I don't know if you know where Hosea is. If you have one of our Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible, by the way, you can slip up your hand and we'll get one to you. But in, in the Bible that we have in the back, hey, Josh, I think we have one up here in the front. And um, On page 751 is where you'll find Hosea. I'm actually going to be in several passages in the Old Testament. And, and as we talk about this, this Advent idea of love, do you remember that the word Advent means coming? We, we recognize that 2,000 years ago, when this little baby by the name of Jesus was born, this is the arrival of the Messiah, God in the flesh. And as we think about that event 2,000 years ago, we also recognize that Jesus will come again. There will be a return. So Advent is uh, the beginning of a season uh, in the Christian faith where we ask this question, will this be the year that Jesus returns? Will this be it? And we look with anticipation, not just to celebrating his birth next Sunday, but also to, um, uh, to Easter and to other very important holidays for us as Christians. Very significant. Do you know that uh, the coming of Christ and who came and he died on the cross and and eventually will come again is a demonstration of the love of God. And here's what I want for you this morning. Here's my prayer for you this morning is that you will more, more fully understand God's love for people. I want for your understanding of how incredible God's love is to deepen this morning. This is my hope. This is my goal. And so in application, really what I want to do at the end is just tell you how, ask you, how will you respond to God's love? I want you to walk away with a deeper sense of God's love and, and enjoyment of God because of his love. It's unlike any other type of love, this love that we talk about being God's love. It's pure and it's good and it's satisfying. Adam and Eve experienced God's love unhindered uh, before they sinned. And all of us, since the fall, that's recorded in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they tried to take the place of God, the relationship between God and man was separated. So all of us have struggled to really feel a sense of of purity in our love for God and really drink deeply of His love for us. And so within us, there's a longing to experience more of God's love. And we just kind of always feel like we fall short in this, that God works on us, we can experience more fully. But the love that God has is incredible. We as leaders of Neartown Church want you to experience the fullness of God's love, and it's hard to fathom. When I think about love and the early days of love in my own life, I'm reminded of this really important event when I was in the seventh grade. Her name was Kayla. We went on a trip together. She was from another church, and I went with my church. And I knew once I saw Kayla across the room that I was in love. Kayla was beautiful, and she was a much, much, much older woman. You see, I was in the seventh grade, and she was in the eighth. And I knew that she would be mine. Now, you you might laugh at that, but I really, I think I did think that I loved her. And and here's how much I loved her as evidence of it. Um, This is back in the days, you, you know, back in the days, whenever... You listen to music on the radio, and to get a recording of it, you had to take your little tape player with a, with a blank tape that you would purchase, you know, in the pack of like eight, and you'd take the blank tape and you'd put it in the tape player and you'd, and you'd 
stick it up next to the radio and you'd hit record and it would record it. And so for me, there was one song that I knew I wanted to send to Kayla. But I waited and waited and waited. I remember waiting by the radio and it was a country music song. So you know that I wasn't a Christian back then. Because it, and so I waited and waited. Finally, this song came on. It was by this these really brilliant poets, the Judds. Um, and the Judds had this song called Love Can Build a Bridge. Does anybody know this song? Remember this song? Yeah. So, so, so this, is how, this is how serious I was about showing her that I loved her. Love, the, love Can Build a Bridge. I, I recorded it, and then I had another tape recorder, so I recorded it on that. And then I recorded it on the first one over and over and over. And so I sent her a, a mixed tape, which wasn't actually mixed because it was the same song over and over and over and over. And... Uh, and here, here's here's the song. Be swept into what? Be swept into love with this song. Daddy walked across the desert with no shoes upon my feet to share with you the last bite of bread I had to I would swim out to save you in your sea of broken yeah, dreams. Crank that thing up. That's good. When all your hopes are sinking, let me show you what love means. Love can build a bridge between your heart and mine. I don't, I don't know if you missed the lyrics on that, but it's that. Harrison, you just, Micah, you might want to. Take down notes here as you're writing lyrics for your, your group. These are good. It says, I would gladly walk across the desert with no shoes upon my feet. Yeah. Some other words. Something about giving you food. Uh, I would swim out to see you in your sea of broken dreams. So my love for this woman was serious. I mean, it was serious. I was in seventh grade. Jeannie just walked in. from Jeannie, This is about another woman. I'm sorry. I was in seventh grade. She was in the eighth. And, um, and I loved her, and my commitment to her was strong. And so our love flourished because of this tape until something tragic happened. My unending, passionate, faithful, strong love was stopped abruptly when my parents told me that I was going to have to start paying for all the phone calls that were long distance. So my last call was basically to tell her, sorry, it's over. <laughs> you can take that tape and, and throw it away. You see, this is how we think about love oftentimes. It's so, you know, we, I think things like this and in relationships here on this earth, we, we learn about love, right? I mean, you, many of you are right now in love. You're in love with your, your, your parents or your children or maybe hopefully your spouse or maybe you're in love with a dog or, God forbid, cats. Um, you, you know, you, you have a sense of love and longing, and it's within you to love. And, and for me, as I thought about that early love with Kayla, my love for her was strong and steadfast and committed until it became inconvenient or cost me something. And then it was over. It was really easy to walk away from it. When we think about the love of God, we must recognize that God's love is, in spite of the fact that it, appealed, it, it, it would be, if it were like, if, if he, God worked like we do with one another, he would have stopped lo loving us a long time ago. God loves us even when it's inconvenient, even when it's difficult. 
It's interesting as we're trying to understand what it means to say that God loves us. It's a familiar phrase. Maybe you've even spoken it yourself or, or thought it. The Bible gives many images of love flourishing. And oftentimes these images are between a man and his wife. And when Adam was, in essence, married to Eve, their love flourished. And it was disrupted because of sin. And when God decided he was going to begin wooing and pursuing and rescuing fallen people, the image that the Bible gives is that of a husband pursuing or rescuing his wife. We know that when God identified this group of people, the descendants of Abraham, we know them as Israelites, that, that throughout the Bible that they are called like his wife. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8, the prophet Ezekiel speaks of it this way. On behalf of God, he says, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. And this is imagery that makes us think of a marriage between God and Israel. It's important to understand, though, as we think about the Old Testament and what happened uh, in that part of our history, that this group of people who was pursued by God, called by God, and entered into a covenant with God, turned their back on God repeatedly. They were unfaithful to him. While God loved them, they loved false gods. But God continued to be faithful to them. Israel was unfaithful. Israel was like that of an adulteress. Eventually, Israel suffered. They were sent into exile by God. But there's a remarkable story of love in the Bible that talks about God wooing her back. Isaiah speaks of it in this way. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 7, he says, For a brief moment I deserted you. In other words, you were exiled. You were punished because of your unfaithfulness. But with great compassion, I will gather you in overflowing anger. For a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord. Can you grasp this kind of love? I want you to. I really want you to. I want for your response to who God is and what he's done in your life through Jesus Christ to be a response to his love for no other reason than the fact that he loves you deeply. There's a helpful story in the Old Testament about this man by the name of Hosea. I want to talk about this story and this this relationship with Hosea had with Gomer in, in hopes of, of deepening your understanding of God's love. Now, just a little bit about Hosea. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the prophet Hosea. Okay, yeah, he's, he's not talked about a lot, but something interesting happened. He was an 8th century prophet. So this is the B.C. So this is the first century where God was raising up this group of, of people to speak God's message to people in the right time. And oftentimes, whenever God would raise up prophets, it was because his people, Israel, were mixing the religion of him, God, Yahweh, with the worship of uh, Baal, or false gods. And so oftentimes when a prophet would speak up, it would be because Israel was being unfaithful to God. They were also reasons like uh, Israel 
in their practice was practicing injustice. They were, they were neglecting the poor and the marginalized. And so because of these things, God would raise up these prophets, and Hosea is one of the first ones to speak on behalf of God. But God does something really unique with Hosea. The first time we see in the Bible God talking to Hosea, in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, God tells him to do something that ought to surprise us as we consider that it's really a message of love. It's really a lesson of love here in Hosea. What God tells Hosea to do is found in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, listen to this, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. I mean, the Bible's getting interesting at this point, right? Here's what he says. Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. It appears that God is commanding Hosea to marry a woman who has formerly been a prostitute. Now, there's some discussion or debate as to whether or not he knew she were a prostitute prior to him marrying her, but whether or not he knew, the reality was she was. She was a rebel against God prior to Hosea going and getting her the first time. It's often obvious that she was a morally lax woman, and God wanted to use Hosea's relationship with her as an object lesson for us on his love for unfaithful people, specifically in this case, Israel. So God directs him to take her as his wife, and he does. She became the unlikely wife of this young preacher, really. Now, when they were first married, we, we, we ought to think that their marriage was beautiful, and their love began to blossom, and, and God blessed their union with, with a son. And he gets an interesting name. His name is Jezreel. And, and, and the name Jezreel is actually the name of a city where something really grievous happens. And it's, in essence, a prophecy against this city where God is going to right that which was made wrong and, in turn, bless Israel. This, this boy, Jezreel, was the son of Hosea and Gomer. And as... Jezreel is growing up. Hosea notices a change in Gomer. She starts becoming restless, we can assume, and, and, and she's like a bird trapped in a cage, maybe longing for the life she formerly lived. Hosea was very busy. He was preaching. This is an important role to God. He's calling people to trust in God for deliverance, and he's calling them to repent. Return to the Lord was the theme of his message. And he repeated it repeatedly. But Gomer, she grew distant. Her absences from the home grew more and more frequent. And maybe Hosea started to wonder if Gomer was being faithful to him. I imagine that he lay awake at night as she had not maybe arrived home on some nights. And he wrestled with his fears. That while he was out preaching, repent, return to the Lord, God will deliver that she was being unfaithful to him. And so what happened? She became pregnant with her second child. The suspicions 
started being confirmed. The name of this child was Laruhamah, meaning unpitied or unloved. What it implied is that she would not ever experience her father's love. And here we begin to see the symbol of Israel wandering from God's love. And Hosea has to deal with it. Soon after that, Gomer became pregnant again with Lo-Ami, which meant not my people. What this name and this child represented was Israel's alienation and separation from Jehovah because of her unfaithfulness. And it also exposed Gomer. So it's out in the open now. Gomer is an adulteress. She's unfaithful. Everyone knew. Now, in between chapter 1 and chapter 3 of Hosea, where we hear the historical narrative of this story, we see Hosea prophesying and drawing links between his relationship with Gomer and Israel's or God's relationship with Israel. It's incredible to consider that as he was pleading with Gomer to return, God is pleading with Israel to return. But still she ran off. Gomer did. Israel did too. People did too. She ran off for other lovers. People that promised to lavish things on her that would satisfy her. Hosea tried to stop her, but he couldn't. She's leaving for good. He loved her deeply. He was grieved for it. And I'm guessing that some of his friends would say, good riddance to her, Jose. You deserve better than that. But he loved her deeply. What he felt towards Gomer, though she was unfaithful to him, was strong and deep and pure. It helps us to understand God's love for Israel and God's love for people, God's love for us. God wanted Hosea to see Gomer restored as his faithful wife. Surely, Hosea knew God was strong enough to do it. He had to be close to God because he was a prophet of God. The word got back to Hosea eventually that she had been deserted by these lovers, by these little false gods she was running after for satisfaction. They had left her empty. So she sold herself into slavery and she'd hit rock bottom. Hosea could have forgotten her. She had nothing to offer him. He had every reason to walk away. But his love told him, don't give up. Hosea chapter 3 verse 1 says this. The Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loved the children of Israel. Do you see the link there, the picture that we're getting? Though they turn to other gods and love takes of raises. So the story goes that Gomer goes after Hosea. I'm sorry, Hosea goes after Gomer, though she was an adulteress. His indestructible Love for her, the kind of love that's divine, that bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things, endures all things, a love that never ends. He found her ragged, torn, sick, dirty, disheveled, destitute, chained to an auction block in a filthy slave market. A repulsive shadow of the woman she once was. How could Hosea love this woman now? But he purchased her. He reached into her state. He rescued her with 15 shekels of silver and 30 bushels of barley. And he says these words to her. You're mine. You shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot. You will not be unfaithful again. I purchased you. You're mine. You'll not have any other man. I will be with you. He actually paid for her, brought her home, and restored her to this position as his wife. Now fast forward 800 years from this occasion to a dusty barn in Bethlehem. There's this man and his teenage girl, Joseph and Mary, She's pregnant supernaturally. We read these words. While they were there in this barn, the time came for her to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no longer no lodging available for them. Although Israel and all of humanity and you and I played the harlot, were unfaithful, even before we knew what it meant to be unfaithful, God chose to come again. When Christ, the Christ was born, God began wooing us and calling us back to himself. purchased us, not with money, but with the shed blood of Jesus. This is love. This is the love we celebrate at Christmas, the kind of love that calls us from our destitute state, woos us, draws us when there's nothing in us that deserves love. You recognize that God loves you in this way. This is why Jesus came. No matter your state, no matter how far off you feel like you were, no matter the junk that you have in your life, God rescues you in Jesus Christ.